Hello, and welcome to Living Proof, the teaching ministry of Joseph Castillo. We encourage you to listen to today's message over and over again, so that the Word of God will be in your spirit. Be a blessing, share it with your friends, and we pray that you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We also invite you to visit us online at www.anifbeijing.com. Luke 2, verse 7 through 8. It says that then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Those of you who are newer to Christianity, on the left-hand side of me, <laughs> you know, this day in the Jewish calendar is called Passover. And it was during that time of the Passover, every year the Jewish people would have to take and they would have to uh, kill a lamb. And the the lamb that they would kill was to remind them, the Jewish people, of the time that the lamb was killed and they ate the lamb and they took the blood from the lamb and they put it on the doorpost during the time of a man named Moses who led his children, the children of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt because the Jews were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. So God rose up a man by the name of Moses. And when God was going to take them out of slavery, he told them, I want all of you to take a lamb. I want you to kill that lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your home. And an angel will come and the firstborn of every child in Egypt will die tonight. But those of you who put the blood over the doorpost, the angel will pass over your home. So this is where we get the, the holiday Passover, which is what we are celebrating tonight, the Passover. And so this was the time when the lamb would be sacrificed in the Jewish culture here. And we see this noted in Luke 22, verse 8, that this was the Passover. Let's now look at verse 14. And we're going to read verses 14 through 27. And I believe for the rest of you here, you are familiar with that already, what I said. Let's now look at Luke 22, verses 14 through 27. It says, As when the hour was come, Jesus sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof 
until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he brake it. And he gave unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new Testament in my blood. That word testament, we could also change for the word covenant. This is the new covenant because the Jewish people uh, had been living under a different covenant. But he said, now I'm making a new covenant with you in my blood. And he said, this is the new Testament, which you will, from my blood that was shed for you. Next verse. He says, but behold, the hand of him that betrays me is with me on the table. So I don't know if you know, but Jesus was betrayed. And we're looking at today by one of his best friends, his 12 followers. One of them betrayed him. So this night during that last supper, the night he was betrayed, he said it in front of all of the 12 guys. One of you here will betray me. Next verse. And truly the son of man goeth as it was determined. But woe, in other words, the son of man is going to die as it was determined. But woe unto the man by whom he is betrayed. Some people will leave you. Some people will leave this church. But if they don't leave correctly, woe to them that do so. Verse 23, and they began to inquire among themselves, which of them it was that should do this thing? Well, I know they were all looking at each other thinking, I, I bet you it was this person, I bet you it's that person, so forth, amen. But Jesus didn't say to them who it was. And watch what happens in verse 24. There was also strife that occurred among them. Remember, we taught that where there's strife, there's also every other evil work. And there is strife among them. So this is now, you have to understand, this is the culmination of Jesus' entire life. 33 years, he's waited for this moment. And he is going through now the betrayal of one of his beloved followers. And even in the midst of all that, these, these just, you know, petty carnal Christians are, are, are having strife. If, not like Jesus needed another problem on top of all this, but in the midst of this, when he's about to go to the cross, he's about to suffer and be beaten and everything that you witness, he's about to go through all this, the betrayal of his best friend, and in the middle of that, his followers are fighting with each other. It says there was strife among them, and look at how petty the strife was. There was strife among them, saying, which of them should be accounted the greatest? <laughs> Some things haven't changed, hallelujah. 
<laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Verse 25. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Say lordship. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they exercise authority upon them, are called benefactors. Verse 26. But you shall not be so. Repeat after me and say, we shall not be so. We shall not be so. Not be so. Go back to the last verse. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over people. And those who are in authority exercise authority over the benefactors. But in the kingdom of God, this should not be so. Jesus was laying down the principles of what the church should look like. And what the church is going in, well, not going to, but needs to look like going forward. Because it doesn't always look like this, but he's laying the foundation of what the church should look like. And the church should not look like corporate America. And the church should not look like the Gentiles who exercise lordship over those and rule those who are underneath them. In other words, uh, we, we talked about it before a couple of times. We, you know, in other words... The, 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 the people that you rule over in ministry are not peons, but actually the leaders and those who desire to be leaders, they are to be the biggest servants. They are to be the ones to humble themselves and serve the people. So it's not going to be like it is in the world where the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over. Amen. And where the authorities rule over those who are subjects in their kingdom, it's not going to be like that in the church, Jesus said. And it shouldn't be like that in the church, Jesus said. Amen. Verse 26. But you shall not be so. He that is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief as he that does serve. So to be a leader is to be somebody who serves. And as a matter of fact, the fastest way into leadership is by serving. Amen. If you serve faithfully and you're tested, you'll be brought into leadership. Because the whole principle behind leadership in the church is about serving people. Amen. Hallelujah. And if you, if you can't serve people you don't like, the, the root of your problem is the fact, you know, that you don't like people. You shouldn't be in leadership. You know, there's a lot of pastors who don't like people. Matter of fact, one of the biggest pastors of the biggest church of God in America, he had had a mental breakdown in the middle of service. He had 8,000 members in his church, and in the middle of the service, they had to carry him away and put him in a straitjacket as he screamed, I hate people, I hate people, I hate people, and they dragged him out and, and put him in a mental hospital. This happened about eight years ago or 10 years ago or more in the church of God. 
the largest church pastor. <laughs> I hate people. Well, if you hate people, you, you should not be in ministry. People come into ministry because they want to be seen. They want to rule. Or like my wife feels like in America, people come into ministry because they want an easy job. Well, no, some pastors is very easy. It depends on the kind of pastor. Because my sister and her brother attended Assemblies of God Church, and the pastor just did one 45-minute sermon on Sunday, and that was it. He played golf Monday through Friday. So it depends on what kind of pastor you are. For a lot of pastors, it is an easy job. They spend their whole week playing golf and, and so forth, you know. Amen. Then you have the polar opposite. You have the pastor that is worn out and burned out and has eight members because he's going to pray for everyone in their home. He's going to counsel their children. He's running to the hospitals. He's running around, and he's killing himself, running around all over the city, and he only has eight people, and he's burned out. So there's, 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 there's opposites. There's polar opposites. Am I right? Amen. But really, if you're in ministry, it should be because you love people, not because you want to see yourself uh, in the spotlight or on a flyer. Our generation, they want to see themselves on a flyer as a headliner speaking with other people. Hallelujah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is that shallow. Amen. So it goes on here, verse 27. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat... Or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. So when you go into any restaurant or even a, in, a, in a, a ministry event, the, you'll see the, the leaders and the pastors and so on will, will sit down and have a meal. And then you'll have people waiting on them. So Jesus is saying in that scenario, who is greater, the ones who are sitting down, the big wigs, or the ones serving the food? Well, he said, in the natural, definitely the ones who are sitting down. He said, but, then, but me, I'm there as the waiter. Jesus is not there as the big shot minister or rabbi, but he was there as the waiter. Isn't that something? Amen. So he says in verse 28, and you are they which have continued with me in my temptations. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, of every single way, and he passed the test. Let's go down to verse 31. And the Lord says to Simon, because Simon was one of those guys who wanted to be greatest in the kingdom. It's amazing what God did with his life, that Simon is also called Peter, Peter Simon, Simon Peter. And he was one of those guys who wanted to be the greatest. And the Lord turned to Peter, Simon, and said, Simon, Simon, calling him not by Peter, because Peter means the rock. The word Simon means to be easily tossed to and fro, to be blown with the wind is what it means to be Simon. But the word Peter means to be solid and stable. Every Christian starts off as a Simon, but we have to go from being a Simon 
into being a Peter, a solid rock. So Jesus wasn't speaking to him as Peter, but he was speaking to that flaky side of him, saying, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. And let me submit to every one of you today, Satan also desires to have you too. Satan wants to have you. And so he's turning to Simon Telling him Satan wants to have you. Now, we learned in Bible college, I don't know if Elder Bender taught this when you were there, but this word desired to have you in the Greek is a legal term, and it actually means has demanded the right. Satan has demanded the right to have you. My question to you is does Satan have a right to touch you? You serve. How does Satan have a right to touch Peter? You think because you're a Christian, Satan has no right to touch you? G- Peter was with Jesus for three years. We're so sure that Satan has no right to touch us, but how did he have a right to touch Peter? Because Peter was full of pride. And so, because of the pride, striving to be the greatest in the church, He said, Satan demanded the right, and he had the right to do so because of the pride. He opened the door. So it says here, Satan had desired or demanded the right to have you that he may sift you as wheat. The devil wants, see, he can't kill you because if he kills the body, your soul is still going to heaven. That's why we don't fear him who can kill the body. So he couldn't kill, uh, he couldn't, but we fear him who could kill the soul. He couldn't kill Peter's soul. But Peter's, he, God, Jesus said, he's going to sift you. And he had the right to do it. Even though you're one of my followers, one of my disciples, he has a right to do it because of your pride. Watch 32. But I have prayed for thee. Hallelujah. <laughs> I know the devil. I, I was just thinking about it today as we were having worship. I was just thinking, you know, I'm here by the grace of God. Because I know the devil's had the right to sift me a lot of times in my Christian life. I know I've been on the wrong turf doing the wrong things and messed up a lot of times in my 20 years of being in, in or tw- what is it now, 20 years, 22 years of being a Christian. And it's only by the grace of God I haven't been sifted. Hallelujah. Amen. So he said that Satan has demanded the right to sift you, but I prayed for you. Hallelujah. And I pray that your faith will not fail. And when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. In other words... You might be, you know, dealing with this competition and pride stuff and, and Satan has demanded the right and has the right to take you, but you're going to be okay because I've prayed for you. But once you get over this flesh thing, once you get over this ego thing, once you get over this hump thing and you understand what it means to be a servant, he said, then you're going to be a strength to your brothers. Amen. Hallelujah. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling, the author and the finisher of our faith. We are what we are, not because Satan's never had a right 
to take us out, hallelujah, but because of the grace of God. There's, well, that's why there's no boasting, the Bible says. We can't brag in our works of, 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 of flesh and righteousness and how devout I am as a Christian. My sister told you the stories yesterday, last Wednesday, how devout I was as a young believer. But, you know, I also did a lot of stupid things too. Hallelujah. And Peter was always doing stupid things. Hallelujah. But God, hallelujah, who is rich in mercy, continued with him. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse 39 through 40. Skip down to verse 39. We're looking today together at this Passover 2,000 years ago. Not the first Passover, but the second one. The first one was Moses, and this was the second one, the redeeming Passover. Verse 39 through 44. It says, he came out and went. And as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he was at the place, he said to them on the Mount of Olives, he got to the bottom part of the Mount of Olives in a garden called Gethsemane. And when we watched this video a few moments ago, that was, you saw him in the beginning part, he was in that garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden... He said to them on the Mount of Olives, at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, that's where the garden is, right? When you walk, begin to walk up the mount, it's right there on the right-hand side, and you can continue on to the top there. And it says here, he told them, pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about uh, a stone's cast. So he went a little bit farther. He withdrew from being with them and he went alone about a stone's throw away and he kneeled down and he prayed saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. What was this cup? This cup of torture and, and, and abuse that he was about to be inflicted with. The cup of sorrow, the Bible calls it. He said, there's any other way. Now, this is amazing because this is God, the Son. Jesus Christ, God, the Son. And, he, you know, even him, he d did not want to have to be beaten and tortured and tormented like he was going to be. Because he was also fully human. And he would fully feel the pain. So he said, does any other way remove this cup from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was obedient. The Bible says even unto death, but death could be easy. You know, I met some interesting Christians in my life, and I had this guy, you know, he always wanted to die for Christ. It was his dream to die as a missionary. And he's going to die for Christ. He's going to die for Christ. He's going to die for Christ. But I couldn't get him to live for Christ. I couldn't get him to tithe. I couldn't get him to serve faithfully. I couldn't get him to obey the leadership. But he's going to die for Christ. You know who I'm talking about, you know. And I said, look, this is in China. I said, look, don't tell me how much you're going to die for Christ and you don't even want to live for Christ. 
So I want to take it a step further than just saying that he was obedient unto death. Because any of us could say, I'll take a bullet for Christ. That's easy to take a bullet. Amen. But who could live for him? Through the persecutions and the strugglings and the hardships, who could stick with him? So not only was he obedient unto death, but he was obedient unto torture, into beatings, in scourgings, in abandonment. That everyone that he loved and cared for, except his mother, thank God for the mothers, hallelujah. You know what they say about, uh, how, you know, <laughs> what does Jesus and an Italian mother have in common? Have you heard this one before? No. Well, you know, <laughs> well, you know, Jesus and an Italian, they said they have something in common. Number one, the first thing they have in common is Jesus had the same 12 for Christ. I couldn't get him to tithe. I couldn't get him to serve faithfully. I couldn't get him to obey the leadership, but he's going to die for Christ. You know who I'm talking about, you know. And I said, look, this is in China. I said, look, don't tell me how much you're going to die for Christ and you don't even want to live for Christ. So I want to take it a step further than just saying that he was obedient unto death. Because any of us could say, I'll take a bullet for Christ. That's easy to take a bullet. Amen. But who could live for him? Through the persecutions and the strugglings and the hardships, who could stick with him? So not only was he obedient unto death, but he was obedient unto torture, into beatings, in scourgings, in abandonment. That everyone that he loved and cared for, except his mother, thank God for the mothers, hallelujah. You know what they say about, uh, how, you know, <laughs> what does Jesus and an Italian mother have in common? Have you heard this one before? No. Well, you know, <laughs> well, you know, Jesus and an Italian, they said they have something in common. Number one, the first thing they have in common is Jesus had the same 12 friends his entire life. If you're Italian, you know what that's like. You have the same, you know, friends your entire life. Number two, he had the same 12 friends his whole life. Uh, number two, I forgot the whole joke. I didn't write this down. I'm just remembering it. Number two was uh, his mother just knew that he was God. <laughs> oh, and number three is right. And she also knew that her baby son could do no wrong, that he was, he was innocent. Hallelujah. <laughs> that's the, yeah, exactly. That's, that's for every mother. This joke, I've tried it in Mongolian and I've tried it in Laos. It works in every culture, actually. <laughs> Amen. Verse 42. He cries, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was obedient even under torture, neglect, no pat on the back. Nobody that he served had returned anything back to him, but they would abandon him. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven. Thank God for heavenly help. You know, if we just had eyes to see, you know, we wouldn't feel so lonely sometimes. If, if we could just recognize and see how when we thought that everything was not working out and then things were just not going as we see, if we could just see the angel was there, we would be encouraged. Hallelujah. Amen. Unfortunately, we can't see those things. But an angel came and strengthened him. Hallelujah. And watch what it says here in verse 44. And being in agony, he was not yet beaten. He was not yet 
scourged and he was not yet spit on and not yet betrayed at this moment. But he was in agony, mental, emotional agony. And he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat, like my wife said yesterday, we were having a pizza party and we were tasting some different pizzas. My wife said, I'm having a breakdown. She said, Jesus was having a breakdown. Amen. (laughs) Jesus was having a breakdown. Amen. And it says here, his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the earth. Can you say with me, drops of blood? I have another video about this Garden of Gethsemane, from the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to see this video. I don't think we need to turn the lights all the way down. Maybe just dim a couple if we can, Asher. This is from the Garden of Gethsemane. Praise the Lord, Pastor Joe here. And I just want to take you a little bit through the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane in the Aramaic means uh, blood, drops of blood. And right here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have the Church of All Nations, Church of All Nations. And this is the name of my church, All Nations. So it's quite interesting that here we are at the Church of All Nations, and I am the pastor of All Nations Church. Uh, and I like to say, we, we, we like to say in Beijing, but we are looking to plant churches in Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, all over the world. So we can't say Church of All Nations or All Nations Church in Beijing, but we could say All Nations Church wherever the Lord God would have us to plant churches to preach the gospel, to fulfill the Great Commission, which Jesus said is to go into all the world, make disciples, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. So we are All Nations International Fellowship. Now this church is right opposite of the Eastern Gate where Jesus rode in on the donkey 2,000 years ago and where he will come again and he will come through that gate at the, at, the, at the return of Jesus Christ. Now here at this Garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus came and he prayed the prayer of consecration and dedication. The prayer of consecration and dedication is a prayer that says, Not my will, but thine be done. And the Bible records that as he sat there and as he agonized in prayer over the will of God, He said, if there's any way possible for people to be forgiven, for people to be saved, for people to be restored, if there's any way to be forgiven without me having to go through the crucible, without me having to go through the crushing, without me having to go through the torture and the abuse and the nailing of the cross, if there's any other way, God let that way be done. So it's quite interesting that some people say, well, why did Jesus have to die? Or why did God have to send his son to die? Why did he have to be crucified? Why did God have to do that? Trust me, if there was any other way, another way would have been chosen. Because Jesus himself gave supplication to God, saying, if there's any other way, let, let another way happen. I don't want to go through this. But in the end of that prayer, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And this is the very expression of the Christian life, is that not our will, but God's will be done. Now, 
The Bible says that he was able to endure the cross for the joy that was set before him. Some of us, the reason why we can't endure the cross, the reason why we can't say, not my will, but yours be done, is because we don't have a vision for the joy that's set before us. We don't understand that God has a blessing on the other side of obedience. We don't understand that there's a resurrection after the crucifixion. We don't understand that what God's will is, is always was going to become the best thing for my life and the best thing for, for others and, and the world and those that we're called to impact. We just think that God wants us to obey Him to sacrifice some kind of uh, earthly comfort or pleasure. But it's always because God desires for a resurrection to take place. There's a joy set before us. So if we can just uh, learn to pray that prayer with sincerity and walk that life of not my will, but yours be done. There is a resurrection. There is a blessingness. There is a happiness and a joy and a victory and a fulfillment of your purpose on the other side. If Jesus would have let that cup pass from him, if he would have not drank from that cup, he would have not fulfilled the will of God. He would have not fulfilled his own purpose. So if you don't submit your life to God to choose his will and not yours, you won't fulfill your purpose either in like manner. So anyways, for here from the Garden of Gethsemane, from All Nations Church, we love you and we bless you in the name of Jesus. And let him come back. Let Messiah, Yeshua, return back right here to the Eastern Gate. And let us all come here and worship together in the millennial reign of Christ. Amen. Amen. So that's from the Garden of Gethsemane. It's interesting about the garden. The garden of God. When God made the earth, it was a garden. He placed man in a garden. And mankind lost their way also in a garden. But it doesn't end there because God redeemed man back in the garden. If you remember, Pastor Chris Palmer was here a week ago, and he talked about how that resurrection took place in the garden. And the end of the earth, will, when we see this world system collapse and Christ return with the saints of God, this earth will be restored back again to a garden. Mark chapter 4, Jesus shared a mystery. And in that, it's that we as individuals, we are gardens. The garden is a very significant subject to eternity. And we see that in this night where Jesus was betrayed, this Passover night, he was in a garden called Gethsemane, which means drops of blood. And in that garden, he agonized and he began to bleed drops of blood right there in the garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden, that actually is a garden of olive trees. Now, the, the olives in Israel, they are also in the shapes of teardrops or drops of blood. The olives are even in the shape of a drop of blood. So how prophetic here that Jesus was in the garden called the drops of blood, where they crush olives shaped in the shape of a drop of blood. And then Jesus himself sweat drops of blood in agony. In great agony. Isn't that interesting? How God was bringing this all together. 
And there were multiple layers of meaning when God was doing this. Now, it's interesting about the olive that the way that they produce oil is by crushing the olive. And Jesus' will and his soul was being crushed in the place of prayer, in the place of drops of blood. To the point, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe in verse 12, that you have not yet resisted sin unto blood. Meaning Jesus had resisted sin to the point where he began to bleed from his forehead. Another interesting thing in the scriptures, another interesting theme in the universe is the number seven. The number seven is the number of completion. In Genesis chapter two, verses two and three, it mentions the number seven for the very first time. And in that verse, it says that on the seventh day of creation, God rested after having to make everything in the prior six days. Seven is used for the perfect work of God. Hence, there's seven full days of creation in the Bible. There's seven branches in the golden candlestick to represent the anointing. There were seven times that the blood would be sprinkled on the veil for the priest to have to walk through the veil and that during the atonement. There were seven times that oil was sprinkled on the altar when it was consecrated. And it was consecrated for seven days and the priests were required for seven days to consecrate themselves. Seven days were necessary to also purify the defiled. If you had leprosy, you would have to, and you got, you got purified, you'd have to wait seven days. Seven times Naaman was washed in the Jordan, and on the seventh time, his body was clean from the leprosy. Seven days, the children of Israel had besieged Jericho and marched around it, and seven priests with seven trumpets blew the horns until the walls fell. It had to be a perfect seven for God to do a complete work. The lamb in the book of Revelation had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. There are seven seals on the scroll of God's book. If you sin seven times 70, Jesus said you'd still be forgiven. Can somebody say seven? Seven's a special number. It's a holy number because God blessed it and he rested on the seventh day, meaning it was complete and he could rest. This word seven's mentioned in the Bible 700 and 35 times. Seven fold is mentioned six times, and seventh is mentioned 119 times, totally 860 times do we find this word seven in the scriptures. Finally, Jesus in the Garden of the Gethsemane, and there's actually Many more things I could do with the seven about the human organs and, and, the, and the torso, all kinds of things, the patterns found in the body and all kinds of things. But finally, Jesus shed his blood exactly seven times in 24 hours. 
Most of us think of the crucifixion being when he was nailed on the cross, he shed his blood. But he did not first shed his blood on the cross. He first shed his blood in the garden. The first of seven times, blood, the very blood of God, untainted with sin. Yet you see, you understand that Mary, his mother, was was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She knew not a man. She was a virgin. She had never slept with anybody. Therefore, the blood, according to... Now, at this time, the, the science did not understand this, but we understand now through science that the blood comes from the Father. And so the blood... That of this baby in her womb, born of the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit, was a blood that no earthly containment had ever defiled or touched. It was the sinless, perfect, miraculous, wonder-working blood of God himself, Emmanuel's veins. That blood was first shed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he had shed his blood seven times without it. Without him shedding his blood seven times, I submit to you, we would not even have a full redemption. He had to shed it seven times. Number one, the sweating of blood. We saw here in Luke twenty-two forty-four, as those drops of blood fell from his brow in the shapes of an olive, as Jesus the olive tree was being crushed. Number two, the stripes on the back of Jesus, shedding the blood at the whipping post was the second time. Jesus shedding his blood in the garden came not by the whipping or beating, but it came from the agony of mental oppression. So the very first thing that Jesus atoned and healed was mental illness and oppression, anxiety, depression, and I don't even know all the names, schizophrenia, psychosis, all every name that you can mention under mental health. That was the first thing Jesus redeemed. That's why you saw it in the Bible says he would heal the lunatics. He would heal the mad. The, the mad people would come to him and their minds would be freed because he specifically gave redemption in the garden for the mind. Amen. So now, as we understand these things, we can begin to apply these things. Even the blood touches the memory. The Bible says in Hebrews that if the blood and bulls of goats could cleanse your, 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 your sin, how much more can the blood of Jesus cleanse the conscious from dead works? In other words, the blood can erase from your memory things that cause trauma. 
And I don't mean you just get over it, you learn to live with it, you bury it down. I mean, you can't even remember nothing happened. Totally erased, deleted supernaturally. Like Paul who killed and held the coats of those who killed and persecuted Christians. Later on as he got an understanding of the blood, he said, receive us for we have harmed, we have harmed and hurt no man. He had come to the point where he could not even remember the sins because it's the the sin consciousness that keeps you enslaved. So now the blood is powerful enough. People tell me all the time, you don't remember? You got me high? I went back to my old neighborhood in Chicago. And they said, oh, they call me Big Ride. Big Ride! You don't remember you got me high? I smoked my first joint in your apartment. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I don't even know who you are. And I wasn't trying to be spiritual. I don't remember most of the stuff I did I, in, in the world. I just can't even remember it. People send me messages on Facebook. Oh, Big Rod, I found you on Facebook. Oh, man, you remember we did this? We went and shot those people together. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, I, I laugh. I said, I'm sorry, but and forgive me for doing that with you. I said, but I don't even remember that. Why? Because I applied the, the blood from Gethsemane upon my conscience a long time ago. Matter of fact, every time I mess up, I'm like, you know, I'm like, Lord, erase it from my memory because I need to live just like I've never done it. Amen. And Christians can't live like that because they haven't been preached the full gospel. He didn't just shed his blood on the cross. He shed it in Gethsemane. Hallelujah. I don't know when they named it Gethsemane, but I'm sure that they even named it Gethsemane by the leading of the Holy Ghost. Because God said right there, I'll crush. I'll crush the olive branch. Second time it was afflicted upon him. He was beaten, whipped at the whipping post. The Bible says in John 19.1 that Pilate scourged Jesus. But that was just the fulfillment of prophecy that Isaiah 53 and 5 that said that he would be scourged for our transgressions. That he would be scourged for our transgressions. That second time that he shed blood, that scourging was for your sins. If you've taken foundation class in our church, you understand that a transgression is that willful iniquity that willful sin you know you shouldn't be doing that people talk about like oh god forgive me of those sins that i i I, that i that i did and i didn't know i did that's not what a transgression is a transgression knows you shouldn't have been doing that you shouldn't have taken that money you shouldn't have been looking at that you shouldn't have gone there and you know it amen But isn't that good, hallelujah, that Jesus even shed his blood for that, hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Third, in that that scourging was not only for our transgressions, but it says in Isaiah 53 that with those wounds we were healed physically. So we were forgiven of our transgressions and healed 
of our diseases. Because disease came in from transgression. Why transgression? Why not iniquity? Because Eve and Adam, when they took that fruit, the Bible says that Adam was not deceived. Therefore, it was a transgression. So we had to redeem the transgression. And then with the transgression, sickness came into the earth. So by your his stripes, you're also healed. Amen. Hallelujah. The third place that Jesus bled was internally. Internally. Say with me internally. In other words, when you are struck with a blow, you don't necessarily... Why transgression? Why not iniquity? Because Eve and Adam, when they took that fruit, the Bible says that Adam was not deceived. Therefore, it was a transgression. So we had to redeem the transgression. And then with the transgression, sickness came into the earth. So by your his stripes, you're also healed. Amen. Hallelujah. The third place that Jesus bled was internally. Internally. Say with me, internally. In other words, when you are struck with a blow, you don't necessarily cut and bleed. But what happens is you begin to get a black or a blue mark on your skin. Why is that? It's because you're bleeding internally. It's an inner bleeding. Jesus was bruised. He received an internal bleeding for our iniquities. Because iniquities is that inner working of the sin. It's that, that sin nature that drives you into rebellion against God. And he, the third place he shed his blood was internally to heal that iniquity. So that you be no longer slaves to sin. Hallelujah. I used to be a slave to cigarettes. I'd throw them in the garbage. And the next day I'd run out to the trash can. Tossing out all the trash, looking for the box of cool 100s. Hallelujah. I know you guys don't know what cool 100s are, but that's <laughs> a Chicago thing. You know, the, oh, you know, cool 100s. Okay. You know, we thought we was cool smoking the cools, you know. Going back, looking for that like a dog returning to his vomit. Because that iniquity is driving you. But when the blood is applied to that inner struggle with sin, you can be totally set free from nicotine. And you know the story. It was Pastor Karandi Hearn called me up, prayed a little prayer, never desired a cigarette again. Hallelujah. Amen. When the blood is applied. You know, you get a lot more power out of the gospel when you have revelation of the full gospel. Amen. Fourthly, the fourth place that he shed his blood was when they put the crown of thorns upon his head and the pierced all the way around. Have you ever seen that crown of thorns that was used? It was very sharp 
And they put it, they didn't just place it delicately. They smashed it on him till blood dripped down his entire body. The soldiers twisted that in John chapter 19, verse 2. And they put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe. He went through that anguish. And he went then through this piercing of his skull with the crown of thorns. That we would have our peace of mind back and be freed from tormenting spirits. Hallelujah. Fifthly, Jesus shed his blood through his hands. Actually was pierced about here. They call that they considered this and they in the Jewish culture they considered this whole area your hand. Not just these. We we say wrist and hand. They considered this whole area your hand. And he was pierced in his hands. Actually went through right about there. When they crucified him, they divided up his garments, casting lots, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And they said they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. You were touching on my sermon today during the offering message. Hallelujah. That's how you know you're in the spirit. Like I started giving my whole sister's message there. Hallelujah. It was custom in these days to crucify people by nailing it in their hands. Representing your prosperity. Why? Because the scripture tells us that God blesses the work of your hands one of the first curses that came into the earth when they sinned was poverty it was to adam you would have to struggle and work and till the grounds with your hands till you sweat just to eat this was a redemption of our financial ability to make money i'm hearing in the spirit Money, 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 money. <laughs> God wants you to prosper, hallelujah. But in order for you to prosper, you had to first remove the curse of poverty that came in the garden the first time. And then he's going to remove it again the second time. Hallelujah. He won back our prosperity. He won back the blessing upon our hands. Some people, you know, there's, 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 all around the world, there's poor people who work like dogs. They work hour after hour in the factories or in the fields, and they can barely rub two nickels together. It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they don't work. It's because the curse of poverty. That you'll labor and travail. Hallelujah. Now God wants you to be productive. He said be productive and fruitful. But he never expected you to have to labor and travail for your needs to be met. Amen. Sixth place that he shed his blood. When they pierced his feet. The sixth place. When Jesus was on the. His fast, Satan came to him and he tempted Jesus. He took Jesus to a high mountain and he said to Jesus, look at these kingdoms of the world. If you bow down to worship me, I'll give you these kingdoms. 
because they were once given to me. Well, who gave the kingdoms of the world to Satan? Sure wasn't God. It was Adam and Eve. They gave their authority of the world over to Satan in transgression. So Jesus here, when he took that, that, that nail piercing into his feet, he was restoring our dominion back in the earth. Genesis 1.26, God said, let them, let man, not a spirit. A spirit was never supposed to have dominion in the earth. Not even God himself was supposed to have dominion in the earth. He said, let man have dominion in the earth. For I made them in my likeness and in earth. For I made them in my likeness and in my, fashion them according to my likeness and my image. And they will have dominion. And Adam forsook all that for some deception of higher knowledge. Thinking that evil would make him greater if he knew evil. Let me tell you, if you know evil, it'll make you evil. Hallelujah. People nowadays, what's wrong with people nowadays? They said, I want my kid to try drugs, but I want to be there with them. And I want to, you know, let them get high in front of me so I could, you know, let them choose. How stupid is that? You can expose your kid to evil, they're going to be evil. They said even this whole week, they went down to the borders and found the border towns where all these uh, uh, illegal immigrant kids from Mexico were being thrown over the border and brought over the border. And they said that, I saw an expose of it this week, and they said that the kids there, six, seven years old, are performing, uh, I can't, I got my kids here, I got kids in here, are doing things that only adults who are married should do. And he said, where are these six, seven-year-old kids? Where do they learn it from? They learned it because the, 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 the coyotes, they call them, they were bringing them over, were molesting them. So now they're stuck in this camp, and they're repeating what was happening to them in the camp. Knowing evil makes you evil. We don't need to know nothing but the goodness of God. That's why the Bible even says, think only upon what is pure, lovely, of good rapport, worthy of praise. Think on those things only. Hallelujah. Christians always want to go study the occult so they can reach, reach them. You don't need to know the occult to reach them. Hallelujah. Just know your Bible. Hallelujah. The spirit of truth will reach them. Amen. He restored their authority through their feet. Luke 10, 19. He says, behold, I give you power to trample upon, to stamp upon. Hallelujah. I saw a pair of shoes today. Pastor Caleb Ring was advertising these uh, shoes called devil stompers. I never heard of those devil stompers. I said, I got to get me a pair of those devil stompers. Hallelujah. Amen. And lastly, Jesus not only restored our mental health, not only restored our prosperity, not only restored our physical health, not only restored our conscience and memory, not only did he restore our authority, but he also, the Bible says that he was pierced on his side. Lastly, the seventh place 
that his blood was shed was when he was pierced on the side. And it says in John 19.34 that they, one of the soldiers took a spear and he pierced him on the side. And immediately the Bible says blood and water came out. How, how did water come out? Water comes out, they discovered scientifically, when the heart bursts. Water begins to flow. And so that's how they know you were dead. When they pierced you on the side, if the water would come out, they knew you were dead. Why was his heart burst? The fact that blood and water flowed from his side symbolizes that he died from a broken heart. It was even said of the great woman, Catherine Kuhlman. She died here in Tulsa of an enlarged heart. And they said it was a betrayal of a close ministry friend that, 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 that wear her down and she died of a broken heart. Jesus died of a broken heart. The intensity and the anguish of the burden of the sin of all humanity. The fact that the Bible says that he was beaten so bad that he didn't even look like a human being on the cross, that his skin hung from his back like ribbons. He looked like a blob, a monster of blood and guts dripping. But that didn't compare to the pain and the anguish that was put upon him when all the sin from Adam... And not to, not to John the Baptist, but Adam, to every person that will ever be born in this earth. Every sin that not only you've ever done, but you're ever going to do, was put on him. And his body could not contain it. His heart burst asunder. And blood flowed and water from his side. Can you imagine this signifies that Jesus had won back a whole, a healed heart, and he restored joy back to his children. So much joy that it was said that those early Christian martyrs would be put on the crosses and they would be doused in some kind of fuel and set on fire. And they would smile and they would tell their disciples, I don't feel a thing. Filled with the joy of God, even at their martyrdom and death. Hallelujah. And nowadays, Christians get upset over the tithe. Hallelujah. We haven't met the cross like we should. We haven't met the blood of Jesus like we should. And this Good Friday, it was in my heart to fully explain to you as much as humanly possible, what that blood had purchased for you this night, 2,000 years ago. That we have no reason to let the devil dominate us in any area or our family members, loved ones, children, in any area. We have dominion, hallelujah. Through the redeeming blood of Jesus, 
over our kids' minds, our spouses' minds, over our health, over our financial provisions through the blood. And I'll close with this testimony. My little sister, Angelina. Angelina, I don't know if you guys know much about her. I never talk much about her. But she had fallen off of her bunk bed in Bible college. And she fell off the top bunk, and she broke her foot in three places. So we were in, you know, when she went to the hospital and had a cast put on, and they gave her crutches, and we were having an all-night prayer advance at our church there at World Harvest. And we're having this prayer advance, and a Mexican man by the name of Dan Dasquez, a pastor, he was also on crutches because he had hurt himself somehow. He got healed in the service. And he threw the crutches across the room and began to run around the whole chapel. We're having this prayer advance, and a Mexican man by the name of Dan Dasquez, a pastor, he was also on crutches because he had hurt himself somehow. He got healed in the service. And he threw the crutches across the room and began to run around the whole chapel. So my sister said, hallelujah, God's healing people. She threw her crutches, took one step, boom, straight on her face. She was so disappointed. And she couldn't understand what happened. How come God would heal Dan, but not heal her? So we had went to a coffee shop for coffee a couple days later, and she was like, Joey, why didn't God heal me? And see, my sister, she never listens to me. So when she asks me questions, I don't even answer her because it's like, it's just like I might as well just talk to a wall, blah, 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 blah. She don't listen to anything I have to say. We're family, too familiar with each other. You know what I mean? And so I was like, well, do you really want to know? And she's like, oh, you know, and she just started talking about something else. I said, I ah, see, she don't, you know, she's not going to listen to me. Because if I explain it to her, I'm going to have to give her verses and scriptures and give her a whole theological thing, and she is not ready for all that. So I didn't say anything. I just left it alone. Had our coffee, went home. That weekend was the, the graduation of the Bible college. And it was also the weekend that the Passion of Christ had come out. So we had some family members that came in. My big sister Sheila came with her family, and we all went to go see the Passion. And we got a big bucket of popcorn with layered butter. We got a big Coke. We got Twizzlers and boxes of candy. I know some of y'all getting hungry. Listen to me. And, 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 and we got in that theater. We sat down, and it was packed. And everyone had popcorns and drinks and everything. Would you know the whole movie, nobody even took a sip of their soda. You didn't hear one, nothing. We sat there with our all of our goodies, just like the. We couldn't even move. And after that movie, we walked out with a box of popcorn, a Coke, candy, and we just threw it all in the trash. And we, <laughs> if you see the movie, you would understand. And not only that, but we didn't say a word to each other. Usually when you come out of a movie, people are talking, the whole, I don't know how many people, 150 people in the theater, nobody said a word. It was just silence leaving that theater. It's one of the best movies ever made, The Passion of Christ. So impactful. So we just didn't know what to do. We dropped my sister off back at the dorms. I went home. And my sister sat on her bed, crying, 
thinking about how he was scourged for her transgressions, bruised for her iniquities, and reenacted in her mind such a vivid betrayal of Jesus bleeding and suffering for her to be free and to be whole and to be healed. And she laid, closed her eyes and she laid hands on her foot and she said, Jesus, you paid too much for me to have a broken bone. And then she laid down and just went to bed. Next morning, she went up. She had a doctor's appointment. They were going to, you know, take a look at the thing, uh, do an x-ray, see the progress, and, and just kind of, you know, a checkup on the broken three bones broken in her foot. And when the doctor came back in with the x-rays, he said, uh, Angelina, he said, can you stand up? She's like, uh, yeah. So she gets her crutches, and she goes to get off of the, the table. And he's like, no, 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 without the crutches. She's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I don't understand, but these x-rays say that somehow all three bones are, are totally normal. He said, I, I, could you, could you st- put some, he said, put some pressure on it lightly. Let me just put your toe down. So she gets down. She puts her toe down. She's like, I don't feel anything. He's like, all right, now put it all the way down. She goes all the way down. He said, now put some weight on it. And then she starts, she starts jumping. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm healed. Hallelujah. I'm healed. And the doctor's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. He says, I don't know what happened, but maybe it's recovered faster than normal. And so then your bones are like jelly. So even though they're pitching, you can see them together. They're probably like jelly. Don't do that. She's like, no, doctor. No, I'm healed. I'm healed. Jesus bore my sickness. Hallelujah. She left the crutches at the hospital. Hallelujah. Came back to the dorm. It was a big testimony in the church and the Bible college. She received her healing not because she saw somebody else get healed that didn't do anything but because she had a profound experience with the blood that jesus shed and it came through cinema but it birthed a real revelation in her and an anger against anything that's not what he died for because he has suffered too much Let me tell you, he suffered too much for you to not have freedom in any one of these seven areas that we've taught about tonight. I just want to invite you to respond to that by lifting up your hands. Stand to your feet, lift up your hands. And if there's any of these seven areas that you feel apply to you, I want you to lift them up to God. And let this reality of this biblical truth in scripture not this message but this word of God that I brought to your attention let it be a reality and a truth you know I never fast but I fasted all day today it was very hard but I fasted that you would be changed that you would see and understand the blood and what it is done for you and that you would be changed from the inside because only God can do it. Not another message, but only the power of God. And I pray for you today in the name of Jesus, this Good Friday, that you would receive everything that Jesus shed his blood for your health your iniquity your transgression your prosperity your peace of mind the mental health 
your dominion and authority and the wholeness of your heart. May you be whole in every one of these things that deal in the human experience. This purpose was the Son of God manifested to destroy the works of the devil, his works, Satan's works of torment against our minds, our health, our prosperity, our peace of mind. All of those things destroyed with every drop of blood from Emmanuel's veins. The perfect blood of God shed, not taken, not spilled because it wasn't an accident, but shed because it was intentionally shed for you to be whole and free. Praise the Lord. I'm Bishop Joseph Castillo, and this is Living Proofs Podcast. I know you are blessed and encouraged, and I want to invite you today to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. He died for your sins so you don't have to die in that mucky mire of sin. He had lifted you up, shed his blood so you could be forgiven of everything that you've ever done. And all you need to do is open up the door and let the King of Glory come into your heart with the words of your lips. Repeat after me. And God will start a new chapter in your life today. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you now, just as I am. I am a sinner born in sin. But God, you sent your son to die for my sins. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. From this day forward, I belong to you. Wash me in the blood. Forgive my sins. Send your spirit in my heart. From this day forward, I have new life. I have boldness to share the gospel with others. And Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Amen. If you said that prayer, I want you to contact the ministry. You could Facebook us. You could email us. You could Instagram us. We're, we're on all those platforms. Bishop Joseph Castillo. Just go to our Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Email me if you want. Bishop at the RiverChurchTulsa.com. And we'd like to give you a free gift so you can understand this new walk with Christ that God has given you today. It's my book called Reality or Religion, The Beginner's Guide to Faith. We'll send you a copy. If this broadcast has blessed you, I want you to share it with others. And I want you to also partner with our ministry. Help us carry the good news of the gospel across the earth. And you can do so at theriverchurchtulsa.com or asiarevival.com. Once again, that's asiarevival.com or theriverchurchtulsa.com. If you need prayer, feel free to call us at 773-599-7197.